It's all about being a white man in this whole world. That's what it's been about. And now that we're changing the narrative, people are not into it because people who are your age or my age or older are like, wait, wait, what? We have to come up. What's the pro? What's up with the pronouns? What now? Can you be a furry animal? Can you be identified as a furry animal? Everyone's so defensive about progress and change. It's not our job to obstruct change. It's our job to embrace it to say, oh, there's a new way of thinking. Oh, these are different kinds of people. And just because I didn't grow up experiencing this firsthand makes me makes it even more important for me to learn and do everything I can to have tolerance and acceptance for something I know very little about. Welcome to the Unspeakable Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Down. My guest is author and comedian, Chelsea Handler. You almost certainly know who she is. She was, for seven years, the host of the late-night comedy talk show Chelsea Lately on the E! Network. Her books, which include Are You There, Vodka? It's Me, Chelsea, and My Horizontal Life, are bestsellers, and she's had numerous comedy specials and documentary series on streaming networks. So this is an interesting episode. Chelsea is arguably, maybe inarguably, the most famous guest I've had on the podcast so far at least the most famous in the traditional media sense, as opposed to the podcasting celebrity sense, though she does now have her own podcast, of course. She is an unusual kind of guest for this show and probably someone I would not have had on if we didn't happen to know one another personally. We met several years ago in the context of trying to develop a television series based on one of my books, the book after which this show is named, as a matter of fact, The Unspeakable. That project went the usual way of Hollywood through no fault of anyone in particular. But Chelsea and I have remained friendly. And in fact, a few years ago, I interviewed her on stage when she was on tour for her book, Life Will Be the Death of Me. And that experience, just as an aside, and because we refer to it a little obliquely in this conversation, involved um, an absurd and rather harrowing trip for me from New York to Philadelphia uh, which we talk more about in an earlier interview I did with Chelsea that's available to Patreon supporters if you're interested. Anyway, I'd actually hesitated to hit her up again for an interview, not because I don't like talking with her. I, I like talking with her a lot, but because I didn't want to take the kinds of issues I tend to cover on this show and shoehorn them into a conversation with someone who didn't really sign up for that kind of thing. This is something that I think about a lot in terms of what kinds of guests I put on the show. And it's also something I worry about with social interactions in real life. I actually talked about this last week with my guest, Sam Harris. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought that this worry was perhaps exactly the reason that I should have Chelsea on. Now, one criticism I get of this show sometimes that I think is fair is that my guests are often people who even if we don't agree on every point, tend to look at some of the social movements of the current moment with a certain amount of, if not skepticism, let's say uh, they're operating in a mode of critical thinking that can sometimes be in overdrive. Chelsea represents a more standard kind of progressivism. And I had a feeling that if I brought her onto the show, we'd hit some roadblocks that I don't usually hit with my guests. And that scared me a little. Uh, but then I realized that being scared was 
a good indicator that I should go ahead and ask her to come on. And she agreed. And she was very generous with her time, especially because, as you'll see, we had some of the worst series of technical problems that I have had in the history of recording any interview. We spent the first 20 minutes just trying to figure out how to hear one another. And there were several other interruptions, including my Wi-Fi cutting out altogether at one point. But it turned out to be a robust enough conversation that she actually called me the next day and said she wanted to pick it up again for a few minutes and clarify something she'd said. I'll be really curious to hear what people make of this interview. Uh, Even though Chelsea probably is the most famous person I've had on, I actually think our conversation bears the closest resemblance to the kinds of conversations I have with normal people in real life when it comes to some of these sensitive topics. And by that, I mean, it's a pretty good representation of the way people who are in general agreement about most things can talk past each other when they're trying to untangle these various threads of the current moment. It's also probably the most I've said like and you know of any interview I've done here. So if you're playing a drinking game wherein you take a drink every time I sound like a suburban New Jersey teenager, which Chelsea and I both were, you'd better mix some water with the wine. At any rate, here is my conversation with Chelsea Handler. Chelsea, welcome to the Unspeakable Podcast. Hi, Megan. How are you? I'm well. I I really, first of all, I just want to thank you not only for doing this, but for being such an early supporter of this podcast, because you probably remember way before I actually got it off the ground, I came and did some demo interviews. I guess it was like December of 2019. And you graciously let me come to your house and interview you for a little, for a little test. And I remember I had all this. Yeah. I remember I had all this audio equipment and I was very nervous about using it. And I had to get there like 45 minutes ahead of time to set it up. But I was in your bedroom. Oh, yes. I remember that. I remember you. (laughs) I was terrified. I told you to relax about 15 times, I think. I know, but I was terrified because uh, I had gotten, I had all this audio equipment. My my brother is a is an audio engineer and like very brilliant sound, professional sound designer and had given me equipment and given me all these very specific instructions that I, I was like even afraid, I had like mic stands. He thought that was really important. Anyway, so thank you for bearing well, with yeah, me during that. Of course, of course. I remember offering you cannabis and then you declining. No, um, I, that would be you too don't much. really love cannabis. But remember, I said, yeah, too much for you. I get that. I get that. Some I personalities I do not vibe with cannabis. Yeah, I just, you know, what I have, I haven't tried enough. I just, it's like I, uh, I, I might vibe with it. I don't know. It's just, uh, I can't seem to get off the, uh, you know, I'm still like a very basic uh, wine drinker. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I'm a good enabler, you know, so I like to, I'm passionate about helping people introduce to cannabis in a very small kind of microdosy way. So I, you know, whenever you feel like you're ready to go down that road, please give me a holler. All right. All right. Well, next time, next time I'm out there. So Chelsea, you have a podcast now called Dear Chelsea, which I really like. I've been listening to it and I thought it would be interesting to talk about your podcast in terms of the reason we know each other, which is that I wrote a book that had a section about imagining your older self going back and visiting your younger self. And since your podcast is an advice columnist, it seems 
very much in that vein. So I was wondering if you wanted to talk about some of the people who ask you things and if you ever feel like you're talking to your younger self or just how you feel about the whole thing in general. Yeah, I guess that's probably, you know, a good point to make is that you are kind of giving advice based on your own experience and what you would, what, what you would say to yourself or, you know, your niece or your daughter or whomever is the closest young person in your life. Right. So when I, yeah, when I did this, I, I just thought of a way I wanted to do a podcast where I was talking to regular people, but there's you know, so many podcasts. And I just thought, what would be like fun for me to actually be interested in and, and say, and sustainable, like what would, what would keep my interest? And it's always just people, right? Interpersonal dynamics and sibling dynamics. I love that shit. I love family drama. Like I, I, and I'm just kind of giving everybody the little shove that they need to kind of, you know, break up with a relationship that's been over for a while or leave a job that, you know, you should have left before and just kind of give them that little kick in the ass that they need a supportive kind of like big sister vibe is how it's turned out. But I have to say, I mean, I thought it was funny because, you know, who am I to give anyone advice? So that's already bombastic, but I loved all of the people that it started calling in with like real serious problems. And, 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 you know, sometimes I'm like, listen, I can't give you advice. This is too serious. Like we have to get a professional in there or we'll have an expert call in. But it's turned into something that like, I really am just floored by people really wanting just somebody to give them, you know, the little shove after they've already kind of made the decision, but need that extra oomph. Yeah, I know. I feel like a lot of it is just people want permission more than advice. Right. It's funny. Exactly. Yeah. I just interviewed Dan Savage and I was telling him that I had been asked to do an advice column like a year ago. And at first I thought, oh, this would be the greatest thing ever because it's like a writing prompt. You know, it's like you don't have to think of something to say that week because it's already there for you. But then I was like, they sent me some sample questions and immediately I thought, no way could I ever do this because I felt like I, who am I to tell somebody what to do, especially based on my own life? Because I think my my own life is sort of unusual and I I just don't live in the way most people would want to live, but would you're kind of the same mo- way. Yeah. <laughs> would want to model their lives. <laughs> exactly. No, I feel like I'm an outlier. Like my life is weird. So, but you don't really, uh, you're, th- that, that's not something you're, you're struggling with. I guess, you know, people are well, going specifically to you so they know what they're in Yeah. For. So that's their problem to begin with. You know, if they want to take advice from me, I'm there to give it. Uh, so it's, it's pretty much, you know, up to the call of writer's discretion, which is perfect. Um, but I am, you know, I am one of those people uh, in my friends' lives that is that girl. You know, I do come in when there's a situation and I do clean up a mess and I do figure, like, that's where I thrive is in chaos, you know? And, and, and so that's where I know how to, like, keep it together. You know, if a funeral needs planning, I'm your girl. But, but when it's everything's going normal, it's like I'm pretty useless. So what are the kinds of questions that are most, most memorable to you? Can you think of any that have stayed with you? Well, one guy called in and, you know, he was smoking too much weed and he said he had, you know, lost his tolerance. And I just told him to do a 30 day, you know, kind of abstain for 30 days. Just take a 30 day break. You don't have to quit anything, you know, just take 30 days off. And then I offered to do it with him. Uh, and he's trans and he came out to his family as trans after he was sober for 30 days. 
And he's like, and his whole life trajectory has changed now because he was never going to tell his parents about that or was putting it off and putting it off. So that was pretty powerful, you know, and he called and checked back in. And now I talk to him and DM him on Instagram. And it's like, it's really cute. And like, that is so moving, you know? Um, One woman had lived with her sister during COVID uh, and her sister was handicapped and in a wheelchair. And so her, she kind of moved her in from this assisted living facility that she was living in for the purpose of COVID because they were both kind of orphaned. Their parents were both dead and they just had each other. And after living with her sister, she thought, I, I don't think I could send her back there. Like th- we have such a bond now from living together. She goes, I just, but I'm about to begin my life. And I have to understand if I take care of my sister for the rest of my life, there's a chance I probably won't get married. I won't have a family. And I was like, oh my God, you, you're going to marry the right guy and you're going to have the right family. If you take care of your sister, like everything good is going to come your way. And that's how you have to look at it. Oh, there's one of those noises you were telling me that's about. Okay. That's all right. Yeah. I mean, listen, at this point, we're just lucky that- we oh, No, I'm just thinking the, uh, the the dog barking uh, noise will be coming to my end soon. Oh, perfect. Out, so we'll be fun. even. <laughs> uh, so in so- that sense, in that instance, you know, I didn't, I, I was like, oh my God, I can't tell you what to do. This is obviously a huge life decision, but you know, you could all, all, all also sense that she was- on that track, you know, on the track to, to make that decision anyway. So, you know, stuff like that. And then there's really stupid shit. Like some guy called in telling me that he was microdosing cocaine. And I was like, that's not a thing. First of all, you can't microdose. He's like, I've been so productive at work. I've been getting compliments on my performance. Everyone is telling me how incredible I am. And, uh, and he's like, so I think it's working. I'm like, first of all, that you're a cokehead. That's not a thing that you can microdose. And if you're doing it at work, that's also a big problem. <laughs> microdose cocaine. What does yeah. that just mean? Like, like what tiny little granules of it? What would that even I entail? Guess so. I think what he means is he takes a bump every, you know, 35 minutes in the men's room. I'm like, well, that's, that's called micro- doing cocaine. Yeah, yeah exactly. Hmm. Yeah. I said that microdose is like become a euphemism for just like, I'm not really doing it. It's like a little bit pregnant. Right. Exactly. Just microdosing. It's just a tip. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, are there any questions that you like don't take on because you don't know how to answer them? How do you choose who to answer? Uh, no, I mean, you know, we have producers that go through it. It's, it's pretty much what's going to be, who's going to be the best conversation. They like, you know, they pre- kind of interview these people to figure out who's going to be the best talker, who's going to, you know, be able to have a real conversation, that kind of thing. Um, instead of just like, you know, super fans calling and saying, I love you. Like no one wants to listen to that shit. Well, I would, Except if I person. so, uh, when you were uh, younger, did you listen to like Dr. Ruth on the radio or read advice columns? Yeah, I did actually. My mom listened to Dr. Ruth all the time in the car. Um, and then I... Oh, wasn't that embarrassing? Oh my yeah, God. It was, It was, but it wasn't because we just, you know, she was such a character that you could kind of divorce yourself from the fact that you were listening to anything related to sex. It was more like you were watching Mrs. Doubtfire, you know, something like that. Um, so she... Uh, and then, yeah, I read Dear Abby and all like Ann Lander, <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah. Because it was such a... It, it was such a quick way to feel like you read the newspaper is to read <laughs> and and the horoscope. Yeah. And you can get all the way through it. Uh, but did you ever like uh, think of 
calling in or writing in? Like, if you were having problems at that time, did had you would you ever have thought of seeking advice from a professional advice giver? No, absolutely not. Never. I do a lot. Of, I represent a lot of the things that I would never participate in. Like what else? Like I don't love concerts or going to big, like you know, like outdoor venues. Meanwhile, right. I'm, I'm performing in the Santa Barbara Bowl in like two weeks. You know, like right. I would never go to like I would never go to that venue unless I was performing there. Not because it's I mean it's beautiful, you know, and all of those things. But you're, I'm just not that kind of like I don't go to big events. Yeah, no, I know. That's, I don't yeah. mind them. I just am not drawn to them. You know, right, right. So. Uh, I mean, I'm just kind of curious, like, you know, we had, so we were working together on something that had to do with, uh, the, this idea of your younger, of your older self going back and like visiting your younger self and like sort of shaking her by the collar and be like, what are you doing? Like, why are you just change course immediately? Like, I can't believe this. If you only knew what was coming your way, you would reverse course. Like, do you ever think about your younger self and can you pinpoint moments where you wish you could just go back and say like, go left, don't go right. Or just, you know, you need to like radically rethink this. Well, yeah. You have that kind of dynamic in your brain. I don't look, I don't look back with so much regret and horror because it's also embarrassing. You know, you think about the things that we've said and we've done and that's part of as that we've said and we've done is all part of this kind of, you know, evolution that we all go through in life. So yeah, you are embarrassing when you're in your twenties and when you're in, you know, late teens, it's it's an embarrassing time. And luckily, you know, you can get to a place where you have a little bit more self-awareness, you know, or you can get some therapy and understand what self-awareness even means, you know, and to get your head out of your own ass. And then you become a little bit more dignified, I think, as you age, you know, you kind of come to grips. Hopefully. Yeah, well, exactly. Hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully. Anyway, that's been my journey. My favorite word in the world. (laughs) My least favorite word. I mean, oh, I hate that word, but I can't think of another one to replace journey. I I try to say trajectory. Yeah. Sounds sounds very sophisticated. I don't know. Something else. Um, But uh, yeah, I do look back and I just go, oh my God. First of all, I think, how are you still alive? You know, with the things that I did and the risks that I took and with, you know, just being irresponsible in my late teenage years, early 20s, late 20s, you know, early 30s, just on and on, just so risky. You know, I'm like an adventure seeker. So I've really, you know, and I'm impulsive. So I've done so many things that, you know, now that when I think about, I go, oh my God, how are you still alive? And it's so lucky that you didn't, you know, fall and kill yourself when you were skiing out of a helicopter or any of the crazy things that I've done. I always look back and just like, you know, now I have more of a, a, um, you know, I'm more tempered. I understand not to take risks. I understand that I could get hurt, you know, but for a long time I did it. So I think it's that behavior. And then also the bombast, you know, the out in your face loudness, you know, it is my personality, but I don't like it being described as crass. And I know that I have been, you know, at times and uh, I just, I prefer, you know, I don't think that's all of me. So I think that part is the only stuff that kind of goes, ugh. like, I don't feel like that's who I am, you know? So I don't like to be described that way, or I like to think of myself in that way when I reflect upon my past or, you know, different things that I've said or done or acted or ways I've acted. But it's interesting because that kind of sensibility, it's, I, I'm like thinking back like 20, 20, 
or more years ago. Like, do you feel like for com- like for a female comedian, was that like one of the few lanes to pick? I'm just thinking out loud here. I haven't actually ever really thought about this. Like, were you either going to be like some kind of weird kind of persona comedian, like a Judy Tenuta or something, or, or like the kind of comedian you were, the kind of like brassy in your face kind of body yeah, persona. I, mean, I think you just do what works for you, right? Like I have yeah. a lot of set last night at Largo with Sarah Silverman and, you know, she mm. goes, God, I'd love to see you on stage when you have so much rage. And I go, oh God, yeah, it'll t- I go, it'll tone down as I get through it. And she's like, no, I mean, it's good. It's so real. She's like, it's so true. Like it's how you're feeling and it's, you know, you can sense that it's so authentic when I'm talking about certain things, you know, um, I get really like, ah. <laughs> and I can't control myself and that's who I am. And instead of trying to change my personality, I've realized that it's just a component of my personality. It's part of me. Don't shut it down. Just don't let it be all of me, you know? So right. you kind of learn how to, I think, you know, if you're, if you're interested in self-reflection and getting to be a little bit kinder, gentler, softer, which are all things that I needed to become. Um, then, you know, it's going into therapy and actually sitting down with somebody, paying somebody for the transaction of telling you what, what's wrong with you is really worthwhile. Yeah. It's funny. I was just talking with somebody and they pointed out that people don't go to therapy as much as we might think they do. Like I used to think that everybody went to therapy, but maybe that's just because I lived in New York for a long time and it's kind of like the circles I ran around in, but maybe it's not that common. Like, would you say most of your friends go to therapy? No, no, I wouldn't. Some of them do, but it's like a handful, you know, my trainer, I think is, which is the the one person in my life that I wouldn't expect to go to therapy, goes to (laughs) therapy, you know? Uh, So, uh, but no, not everybody, everyone has been to therapy at some point, but not people aren't consistently in it, which I also kind of respect because I think therapy is incremental it works best at incremental spots in your life when you're going through something. I mean, there's no point in being stuck with a therapist going once or twice a week for eight years. That just seems like you're, it's not working. Mm-hmm. So do you think people should have a quit date? Well, they shouldn't I just mean, go forever. You know, it becomes a little bit interdependent, don't you think? After you're on somebody, I mean, eight years yeah. is a really long time. If you're, even if you're getting analysis, isn't that you know concentrated for five right. days a week? And yeah, you got to get a result at some point. Otherwise, move on. Yeah, well, analysis, the therapist doesn't actually say anything most of the time, right? You can go for weeks and weeks and weeks before they actually chime in. That's that's when you have those scenarios where the therapist actually died during the session and the patient doesn't realize it. <laughs> More common than you'd think. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I, I'm, pro- yeah, that's that would happen to me, but the opposite. I would pass away during a therapy session. Mm-hmm. Boredom, <laughs> boredom with your own with your own monologue. Well, yeah. it's funny because so we did. I guess the last time I saw you, you were doing your tour with with the book with the last book, and you were talking a lot about therapy. And, uh, we did, I, I joined you on stage in Philadelphia. We were talking about, um, a lot of your journey around this stuff and kind of becoming more just, you know, kind of changing your approach a little bit or, you know, what you had learned. You had really been forced to go to therapy and you had, your therapist was kind of a hard ass, right? Like told you, 
was not did not go gently on you. It sounds like. Well, no, I wouldn't in, say in he was a hard ass. He, okay. was, he was pretty gentle. He's a pretty gentle guy. I mean, I'm the hard ass of the relationship because he. So he would definitely. He was just very honest with me, and he definitely knew how to handle me. You know, I mean, he is a psychiatrist, uh, so he should know how to handle people. But he knew how to gently guide me towards what the real issue was, instead of glossing over everything that I wanted to fix superficially. Did you have the thing where you were kind of performing in the therapy room? Yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It took, yeah. You know, you're putting on this act and then, and then I had the thing. I mean, I never cried in front of a man like that. I didn't know, or that I didn't know, you know, that I knew as well as I knew my psychiatrist and I wasn't going to, you know, like that was not allowed to happen. I was not going to be vulnerable. So anytime it even teetered around that, I would just be like, Oh my God, my body language, like to, to, to avoid him, seeing me get emotional, like what I would do with my brain. And I'd be like, okay, you have to think of something that has nothing to do with any emotion, you know? Mm -hmm. So he danced around a lot of it for a while, for an appropriate time until, you know, he built enough trust with me, um, which, which took a minute, I think. And I wasn't receptive to it in the beginning. Um, So he, yeah. And it took a while, but it, you know, once I got it and once he gave me my first light bulb and explained why I do the things I do or why I act so impulsively or why I can't, you know, why I, I can't trust a man or depend or rely on a man. My whole story of my life is like a complete reaction to my brother dying at nine years old, my whole independence. And I don't need, you know, I don't want kids because they'll die. And I don't want a husband because I can't rely on men because my brother and father abandoned me. Were you actually, did you go in there specifically to talk about your relationships with men? Was that the impetus? No, 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 no. I went in there with, to talk about my relationships with, you know, just my impatience, my anger. I had so much anger and like rage, uh, for, uh, Donald Trump. And, you know, I was so upset about the election that like, I, you know, I couldn't do my job. I didn't want to work. I didn't want to do anything. All I wanted to do was campaign for the next. Oh, so it it was around that time. Okay. So this actually corresponded with the 2016 election. I think that's true of so many people. I think people like people started taking medications. They started taking sleeping medications. It was like a a mental health, uh, collective mental health crisis for a lot of people. Okay. So that, so it was just more like an ambient anger or distress that you went in to deal with. Yes. I was in distress. I was angry. I was horrified about the election. I was so pissed. I just couldn't believe it, but it was, you know, I, you know, I mean, not, you know, I say that so many times. It's so annoying. So when whoever's editing this, please lift my, you knows whenever you can. <laughs> that, that's but, me. Oh, great. <laughs> okay. It's a great assignment for you. It's, sure a, uh, it's a automated system now. Cause I oh, say it too. Oh, like, even better. Like, 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 you know, but you know what? We're from New Jersey and we're of a certain age. So we're allowed to say that. Are we? Yeah, it's like we can say you guys and yeah. I know you don't like anyways, and I want to talk about that too because I totally agree. But um so annoying that yeah, word. we're all anyways, over, all over the place. Okay. Like, I don't like yeah. trendy talk. I don't like when people say a hundred percent or correct. Yeah, where did that come from? Where did a hundred percent come from? Because I noticed it a few years ago it started. It's so annoying. It's just a trend. And when people copy each other like that, it irritates the shit out of me. When people are like correct, or now the new thing is I'm dead. I'm dead. 
when something's right. funny. It's like, no, you're not. Right. There's a lot of people who are dead that would argue with your definition of dead. I mean, if somebody really was dead and they still thought it was funny, that would be a, su- a success. That would that would, that, that would be you, you've achieved. Yeah, that slays me. Yeah, there's this kind of internet vocabulary, this kind of vernacular of uh, death. It slays me. This kills me. It's just so annoying. It's like, LOL. You know, if you're really laughing, you don't have to write that. Just, you know, right. like it should be understood. Right. Uh, you have a hundred percent. Somebody told me that that actually came from Joe Rogan, that he says a hundred percent. No, I wasn't. I was reflecting on a hundred percent. I wasn't re- reacting with a hundred percent, but yeah. Uh, but I mean, the other thing too, is like, you're not allowed to say uh, crazy anymore. So people say bananas, which I kind of don't mind because it's, I like the word bananas to say it feels good. Yeah, bananas is good. Bananas. That's not a bad addition. I li- I would like to use that. Have that be in our little lexicon right now. Bananas. Yeah. Uh. Anyway. Okay. But wait. Let's go back to this. So Trump is elected. You feel like you're going crazy. You go into therapy. I mean, I know you wrote about this in in Life Will Be the Death of Me. So this isn't like exactly new territory. But I'm but I'm curious. Like you know, I think we spoke about this. I mean, is it two years ago now? It was that crazy night. Um. It was it was pouring rain, and uh, I went down to do that event with you in in Philly. And then, uh, yeah, we talked about stuff with your therapist going into therapy. I mean, a lot's the world has changed since then. I mean, God, that feels like ancient history. So, what's happened in the last two years, sort of around some of these issues? Do you feel more sane? Like, where's your head at? I feel more sane. I don't feel like the world, you know, it's pretty disheartening that we have the Senate, the House, the state of Georgia, you know, the presidency, and we still can't seem to get the ball rolling in the ways that in which we need to, you know, I mean, Biden has done a lot, obviously, but not, not enough. And, and just the reaction by the Republican party is really just so scary, you know, that they are still kissing the ring of somebody who lost the House, lost the Senate, lost the state of Georgia for the first time in, I don't know, since Jimmy Carter. And and they still go. And he's a loser. He's not on Twitter. He lost his Twitter account. He lost his face. And they still, and these are the people, and they're looking, half of this country is looking to him for medical advice about getting vaccinated when he's gotten the vaccination. I mean, so yeah, I'm not, I'm sane, but I recognize the insanity and I'm not down with it anymore. I'm just like, Oh, I feel like America it's, it's, you know, it's, it's past its moment. It's, it had an opportunity and it blew it because of racism. Is it just racism though? I mean, I don't, it's so, I, it's, it's confusing. I mean, I don't want to, this is, this is a podcast where I, I do get into these things sometimes. And I think I, I don't want to, I, I, I don't, there's certain rabbit holes that you and I could go down. And I think there would be like, some of them would be more, more fruitful than others. But like, I, I feel like it's just, you know, yes, there's racism playing out in all sorts of ways, but there's just like some larger thing where nobody, knows what's true like it just feels like complete chaos i was just actually listening to this um right before we spoke this morning i was listening to this episode of the daily the new york times daily podcast and it it was voices of the unvaccinated and they had three different case studies they talked to three different people and the first guy was said he was unvaccinated because he just you know wanted to wait a little 
longer. He wasn't sure. He was otherwise like pretty reasonable. He wasn't somebody you were going to have huge distaste for. The second woman was like an anti-vax. None of her kids were vaccinated for anything. She lived in Colorado. She was kind of a kind of kind of homeschooler type. She was actually a math teacher. She wasn't a homeschooler. She taught in school, but she said she would gladly lose her job if her school forced her to get vaccinated. And then the third case was just this woman who was just like recalcitrant. Like a lot of people in her family had gotten COVID and her grandmother had died and she had gotten COVID twice and she still refused to be vaccinated. And it's like, it was so telling because it's, it's, it isn't any one thing. Like it's not because this person is racist or this person is, is this other thing. It's just like a complete clusterfuck of misinformation. Yes, but I I would argue that it's all rooted in racism. Everything that we're talking about is rooted. Vaccinations are just another example or the lack of people getting vaccinations are just another example of racism at play because for two, for two reasons, you're looking at, you know, a lot of people of color who do not trust the United States government because of, for good reason, for 400 years of good reason, they don't trust us. Mm -hmm. They don't trust the government. They, uh, so that's one way that racism is playing out with the vaccinations. And the other way is all of the supporters of Donald Trump who believe his lies and misinformation that is also rooted in racism because it's a way to keep white men at top on the top and to keep any person of color beneath them. So I think everything is rooted in racism. Sexism and racism are what makes the world go round. And anyone different than a white man is like, fuck. Look at how they react to Hillary Clinton. Look at how they reacted to Barack Obama. You know, look at their reaction to it and what we're seeing play out right now. It's, it's, it's all about that. It's all about being a white man in this whole world. That's what it's been about. And now that we're changing the narrative, people are not into it because people who are your age or my age or older are like, wait, well, what we have to come up. What's the pro what's up with the pronouns? What now can you be a furry animal? Can you be identified as a furry animal? Everyone's so defensive about progress and change. It's not our job to obstruct change. It's our job to embrace it, to say, Oh, there's a new way of thinking. Oh, these are different kinds of people. And just because I didn't grow up experiencing this firsthand makes me, makes it even more important for me to learn and do everything I can to have tolerance and acceptance for something I know very little about. Right. So I'm glad you laid all that out because this is one of these things where I think we are in broad agreement. I mean, it would be hard to disagree with a lot of what you just said, but I, I wonder like how we can, we can kind of sort through this in a way that, you know, is, does the racism piece, like, how does that hook up with the, like, you know, the, I'm going to complain about gender pronoun piece of it. Like, are you just saying it's a sort of like, you know, there's, there's been a certain power structure in place and people of a certain age are just going to like get grouchy about the whole thing. Like, I just think that like, I don't know. I see as, as you know, like I've, I've become one of these people on the left who's like a little bit critical of certain, um, certain ways of overgeneralizing about certain things in the world. I consider myself a feminist always and a liberal always, but like, you know, I get in the place where I get, you know, it's like to, to throw around the term white men, that to me, 
applying that as a sort of catch-all for anyone in power sometimes rubs me the wrong way. But I also, I, I suspect you and I are in agreement about like 80% of things. So I'm wondering like where it is that we, that we part ways. Like what, what is it exactly? I'm, I'm just thinking out loud here because I think this is like, a, this dynamic is very, it's in play like with so many people I know. You know? Right, absolutely. I, 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 yeah, I can relate to that for sure. I mean, you can't deny, no, no, no. It was saying white men are, the, the, you can't deny that white men are at the top of the power structure. This, that's a global thing. Like you just, that's indisputable. Okay. So that's, that's the way it is. Are, are, are you, are we conflating that with all white men are terrible? Obviously. No, they're not all terrible. They're not all rapists. They're not all, you know, there's good guys out there. Jim Gaffigan's a great guy. I can name, you know, 50 great guys off the top of my head. Unfortunately, what we've seen and where we are in the world has exhibited to all of us that the power structure that we have in play isn't really working to everyone's best advantage. It's working to a targeted group of people's best advantage. That's undeniable. So, I mean, what do you, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? No, I think this is a case where it's like, we're both right. You know, the, the, you know, these diagnoses of the problem are valid. We want the same ends, but I guess, you know, sometimes people, they have differences about how to get there. You know, how to, you know, how to describe the conditions of the road we, we yeah, take to get I mean, there. I mean, I, right. So like, what would and be. And to go back to your earlier, yeah. well, what you said about like, how does, you know, black relate to being trans? And I, I mean, very easily, I think anything that's other than a white male or a white female, which is, you know, a second rung on the ladder sometimes, uh, is, is other. So I think they relate very closely because they're both marginalized groups. And I think any marginalized group in this world has, has, has a relationship or the ability to relate to the, to the other groups that are experiencing the same injustices. I guess here's the thing. How do you, how do you do comedy in this climate? It's hard. No, it's not. Okay. Tell me why. Because it's good. It's good to have a challenge um, to have parameters. We shouldn't, it's not hard. It's, 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 you know, I just did a set last night at Largo. It's, and I'm going on tour. It's, it's easy. You know, we can, I mean, I'm talking a lot about this. I'm talking a lot about white men and their denial and like the, the men that can't understand the meat of the matter here. It is time to just say, Oh my God, we're not blaming you, but it, this is a structure, a power structure. And it is really time for people to admit that it has been, you know, to an unfair disadvantage to, you know, over half the population now. So it's time to make some adjustments and, you know, equity, equality doesn't come out, come without equity and equitability. Like we, we, there has to be some makeup for what has transpired. So, uh, everyone being at it, as long as anybody's at a disadvantage, then somebody's at an advantage. So what would it look like to, to, start to fix things. I'm asking in total sincerity. Like I, I think about this all the time. Like I feel like there have to be more creative, realistic ways of evening the playing field than whatever it is we've been telling ourselves we're doing. Um, you know, there are so many things. I don't know. I don't have a mind that works in that way. I do think that reparations in terms of 
a starting point is exactly what this country needs to do to stand up and just make everybody understand what has happened, what has transpired, the white people that are in denial of it, that thinks it makes them a racist. It's like the only thing that makes you a racist is not wanting to dismantle a system that oppresses people. That's what makes you a racist. So are you interested in dismantling a system that has hurt so many people of color and women? Like, come on, we got to do better than this. We got to have health care. We have to have safe abortions. We have to be looking out for every person in, in our community. You know, our communities sometimes are small or they can be large, but the ripple effect that we can have within our own communities, you know, and this I say, well, I'm sitting here in some ridiculous rental house that I'm renting in Bel Air. You know, I don't have a community right now. I'm floating. I don't have anything, but you can be sure as shit when I do build a house or buy a house or whatever. It doesn't care, matter how big it is or how expensive it is. I am going to make sure that I know everybody in my neighborhood and that they know that I'm there to help and protect them regardless of where I live. And then I'm going to move outward and make sure that the neighborhood over knows that I'm there to support and help them. You know, I do that with public schools in my area. I call them and find out what they need for the school year because they're so underfunded. There's so many things that need to happen, but it's about each of us taking more responsibility than, than we feel like. I don't want to do all the things that I do. I'm not necessarily pumped. I feel obligated and like, like it's, it's, it's my responsibility to contribute, contribute a little bit more because I've been given so much. And, and I don't think that there's, you know, anything wrong with saying, Hey, yeah, let's start talking about reparations in a real fucking way. Let's start talking about all of the economic, um, hurdles that have been put in place to make sure that people of color don't succeed. Let's start with that. Yeah. That seems like a great place. I agree with that. No, I'm actually, I am actually completely in favor of, um, of, of reparations that could be implemented in any kind of logical or productive way. I'm certainly in favor of, of studying them in a formal way. You know, one of the things that I think somebody floated this idea in the last couple of years, I heard the idea of reparations for women. Like I find that fascinating because really, you know, you and I have talked about this. Neither of us have children. We've chosen not to have children. I feel like so much of the reason that women fall behind economically in other ways is because of a motherhood penalty. As I always say, nature is the ultimate misogynist. So like, what if this is just as like a thought experiment? Would there be any way to offer reparations to women as a way of compensating for all the time loss, the economic losses that come from having to bear and raise children? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's get the reparations party started. I mean, you know, what But how would it work? See, this is what's so maddening because okay, so like well, how would that even begin to work? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess that would be some sort of, you know, I mean, it, it would have to be legislation that took into account, you know, I mean, where this money is coming from, where does it coming from our taxes, right? You know, what are we, I mean, does it coming from the largest corporations of America, which all of the money should be coming from, in my opinion, how much fucking money do you need people need? Like Jeff Bezos really needs to go fly to fucking the space or the moon or wherever he went when he could cure poverty with that money. Like, is, is that necessary? Like we need to redirect. I mean, I feel like there needs to be, you know, I am a little bit, you know, I'm not into, I'm not, not against socialism. I don't know enough about socialism implemented 
uh, in this country, what that would look like. It seems like it would be a nightmare shit show because everybody, you know, we have so many different countries within our country. Um, but I am of, you know, the ilk that like, there is no need to be so like this capitalistic society that we live in is, has become pretty craven on top of greedy. So, you know, these kind of gutless millionaires that don't seem to have any backbone and or how long it took Mark Zuckerberg to get Donald Trump off of Facebook. I mean, seriously, dude, like is, is, is your billion dollar income or whatever you make in your dividends worth democracy? Like, is, is that worth it? Like not in my mind, it doesn't matter what, how much money it would cost me. I would save democracy. Like, and, and this guy, I just don't understand, you know, I think all of these, these capitalistic ideas that we have have backfired because America is too avaricious. We've gone too far. We want too much. It's greed, wealth, and power. And we have three men in the world that represent more than half of the wealth in the world, right? So like, come on, we've got to redistribute that wealth. And that starts, you know, with legislation and people like, you know, who aren't scared in leadership roles to be taxing these hugely profitable corporations and these hugely profitable billionaires in a way that they can't evade taxes like Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, and Bill Gates have done every year, or Donald Trump has done every year. They don't get to do that anymore. Um, so I think it's, you know, there's, there, obviously there are myriad ways. I'm not in government, so I am just talking out of my ass right now. But that's just off the top <laughs> of my head. But, uh, but I mean, I think you're articulating things that a lot of people feel it's just the the problem is like do we trust anybody anybody at the top of any institution organization government is probably not going to act in the interests of anyone but themselves you know the cuomo thing is interesting okay like we don't need to talk about your 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 i, I know you said you dodged a bullet with your uh, your would-be romance with cuomo but you know as i look at this it's clear to me that he needs to go it was Shocking, even to those of us who suspected that uh, what was going to come come uh, to come to light came to light. But you know, I wonder how you feel about this. Like the kind of personality, especially in men, I think in women it manifests differently. The kind of personality type that takes to get into that kind of power position is going to be likely to have the hubris and the ego to behave the way he did. Like. How do you, how do we get to a point where, where the, the sort of person who's probably going to end up in power is not likely to be the sort of person that's going to abuse the power? This is Watkins. Welcome with Bridget Pettisee. I love hearing people's stories of resilience and grit. This is why I created this podcast. We are very excited to welcome Jim Gaffigan, Yasmin Mohammed, Glenn Beck, Tim Dillon, Abigail Schreier, Jeff Garland, Ayan Hirsi Ali, Sam Harris, Heather Hying, Jonah Goldberg, Ben Shapiro, Glenn Greenwald, Sarah Shahi, Colin Quinn. If there's a culture of victimhood, then let's tell stories of grit and survival. Subscribe and listen now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. There are plenty of, of women who are not going to act in the interests, you know, stereotypically in the interests of women from like a, you know, traditional feminist perspective. I mean, you know, we have people in power like 
a- Amy Comey Barrett. I mean, we had Margaret Thatcher. Like, I see in my since this is where I get crazy. Like, I think it's actually sexist to assume that uh, a woman is going to respond in certain ways just out of a kind of like you know feminist empathy. I, I just think people contain multitudes. But anyway, go on. Okay. Well, I, so. I, I agree that people contain multitudes, but I think women on like over the history of time have demonstrated overall as a whole and as a collective to have a little bit more empathy and compassion than men do. So yes, there are some fucked up women out there, but women and, you know, especially now, I think uh, you know, they're just overall have a, there's, there's a lot of different skill sets to offer. And unfortunately, we haven't even begun to see what that might look like. We've seen sprinkles of it. We've seen sprinkles of female leadership. And guess what? They've all been really successful. Uh, not all, most have been very successful. Uh, you know, if you, even if you want to talk about, uh, you know, our prime minister in New Zealand, or if you want to talk about, uh, Benazir Bhutto, you want to talk about these kinds of powerhouse women, you know, that have actually influenced change and progress in either, you know, and you're saying that some are bad. I would argue that women haven't been given the platform to prove how valuable this world and how much better of a condition the planet would be in if women were in more leadership positions. That's just, See, you know, you actually see. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that's true. I understand what you're saying, but I'm not sure well, that okay. if a hundred years from now there were just as many, you know, we switched, we we did a switcheroo, and there were just as many women in, who who had been in power than men. I think they would screw it up in a different why way. Why do you think that? Why do you think that? Because I think that I just because I think that you know it, it's women are are just as capable of uh, of, of destructive, selfish, greedy. Uh, narcissistic behavior is men. It manifests differently. It plays out differently. But I mean, you know, why is it, I'm curious what you think about this. It seems like a lot of what we see on social media, the pylons, the mobbing, the canceling, a lot of that is women doing it to other women. And I wonder if you have thoughts about that. Um, well, I think the moment we're in and people are pretty fervent about, you, you know, they're almost hysterical about trying to cancel people. So, I think that's a, there are plenty of men doing this, not just women, uh, trying to cancel people. Uh, I have been, um, definitely noticing that that fervor, you know, is at, it's a pitch. It's like, oh my God. And, and, and the tide is turning because people are getting sick of the cancel culture. I know yeah. you've been sick of it for a long time. I know we talked about this. I was sick of it before it was cool, actually. Oh, I, I, right. I, I, I invented it in order to get sick of it. So there you right. go. I created right. my own hobby. Uh, well, I, Megan, I invented books. <laughs> so there you go. We're I know. I know. I invented you did, such, you did such a good job. And now, and now, <laughs> um, uh, okay, but wait. But I don't, I don't know that I see a lot of like men doing this on, on, on Twitter. It's a lot. I mean, I don't have to think about this. I mean, how are you? Do you actually, do you look at your Twitter mentions? Like, do you get upset about it? This is not, doesn't play a part in your life. No, I don't yeah. even know how to, Megan, I could barely get on this, <laughs> this Skype. You think I'm looking at my Twitter at mention? It's not a Skype. It's not a Skype. <laughs> oh, exactly. Are so you talking I on Skype? On that's, that's why we keep having these problems. <laughs> not a Skype. It's a fax machine. Skype? I feel like no, I don't really we're, concern we're myself. Speak you're a fax machine. I don't really concern myself too much with what other people are saying about me. I mean, that's not really a fruitful activity for me. No, it's not for anybody. It's, no. It's not for anybody. 
But I mean, what do you think about this kind of punitive period that we're in? It is reaching a point where I think it's it's a tipping point. People are yeah, not going to yeah, put up with absolutely. it anymore. I think that's clear. I think that people are over it. And I think that it's on the descent. And, you know, it's an appropriate time for it to happen because uh, the message has been loud and clear for a while, you know, for a couple of years now since Me Too. And, and then, you know, the Me Too ripple effect around the world in England and in Australia and all of the things that are happening globally as a result of what's happened here, probably, you know, kind of domino effect. Um, but I do still believe that, you know, I'm not into cancel culture. Everybody deserves to be just say, I'm sorry, and then move on with it. If they are sincere about their apology and understand that something they did was wrong. Like Andrew Cuomo, he's acting like Donald Trump. You know, this guy went after Donald Trump, you know, for being a liar, for saying, oh yeah, once the investigation comes through, you'll know I'm innocent. That, that didn't happen. The investigation came through and you're guilty of accusing over, or assaulting or groping, whatever, over 11 women. Including like, one it, of them who had a gun. She had her gun on her. Yeah. yeah it was amazing. Woman. He was like ran his, his hand down her, her, you know, on her hip where her holster was. I mean, so his, own secu- his own security detail was, was uh, afraid of him. Remarkable. Yeah. Yeah, it is remarkable, but that is, I mean, what gets, so for, so, okay. So if you want to compare that with Al Franken, right? Did he abuse his power? Did Andrew Cuomo abuse his power? Yes, he did. He said inappropriate sexual things repeatedly to women in his own office and his own governor's mansion, blah, blah, blah. Al Franken, no. Do, do I think he deserved to be canceled? Absolutely not. I'm fucking so pissed about that. So why do you think they did it? Well, I think Kristen Gillibrand got, you know, she had to, and I, you know, it's, it was a, it was a, a classic democratic move. <laughs> no, right. you know, we say we're sorry. And then the Republicans get caught for the same thing or worse. And they don't. Exactly. And then they exactly. introduce Marjorie Taylor Greene. So <laughs> you're like, uh, all right, you know what guys, this doesn't seem like a fair fight. So I do wish Democrats would be a little bit cuntier. True. Well said. I, I think that's. I think that should be their next slogan. The next time, vote, well, I'm gonna, I'll write vote, it down right now. Vote, vote with the cunts. Come over to the cunt side. Yeah. Um. But okay. I just look. I mean, I didn't mean to get into like a political conversation. I just feel like we need to get rid of the two party system. I just feel like the, the whole thing is just such a such a shit show and uh, is is no longer. It's not functional. It's not functioning in this way anymore. I think too many people are looking at the world and looking at issues on a case by case basis. It feels very reductive to have to choose one side. I think there's just this kind of, this kind of, you know, there's the baked in tribalism of our political system that's been in place for centuries now is manifesting in all kinds of ways. And uh, it's just, it's just not useful. I think, I think the digital economy, digital media, social media has basically made that model obsolete and we haven't figured out a better way. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested in like people trying to look at better ways, but let's get back to this idea of reparations for women. Okay. Like you don't have children. I don't have children. I feel like sometimes I have to be, I have to check myself because I sometimes get into a thing where I'm like, Oh, what do you, what are you complaining about? You know, just, you know, toughen up, do your job, go to work. But of course, it's easy for me to say because I don't have any responsibilities. I don't have any any dependence. Um, but I do think that 
it's I, I am at a huge advantage because I don't have to take years out of my life to to do this thing. And I think that that's a lot of the reason we don't see women in in CEO positions. We don't see them as you know in in C suites of Fortune five hundred companies. It's not that they can't. It's that it's the system is not set up so you can have any kind of family life and work 80 hours a week at those kinds of jobs. So what do we do about that? I mean, there are still so few female executives in Hollywood, for instance. And why is that? Oh, where'd you go? Hello? Okay, you're back. Okay. Okay. Oh my God, I relapsed, you guys. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'm back. I'm back. Okay, we're going to wrap it up in like 10 to 15 minutes. So don't worry. (laughs) I'm gonna. You're gonna. You're gonna come I out can't of this wait to live. See how this comes out, Megan. I'm not gonna edit it at all. I'm gonna include <laughs> these like ten minute pauses while I hunt around for my Ethernet cable. <laughs> um. Okay. Wait. Where were we? Okay. Women having children. It's not fair. I really just think that like it's it's not fair that that women have to uh, get pregnant and lactate and raise small children. Well, the interesting thing about that is that there is a scientific phenomenon called parthenogenesis. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but this is a phenomenon where um, animals are starting to procreate without the sperm of a male. Like it happened to a shark. It happened to like a python in a zoo that was separated from the male python. So they know that she used her own DNA to procreate, which means that evolutionarily, we are a thousand years behind animals. And if men don't start getting their shit together in general, they will become extinct. Because we will be able to reproduce like pythons and sharks? Yes. Good point. Interesting. But a thousand years from now, but they have a thousand years. Yeah, but by then the plants will be burned. Yeah, I don't care about that. I mean, yeah, but it's a good threat and it's a good warning. (laughs) Well, there's also the Shulamith Firestone method. You know, she was that uh, second wave feminist, very, very radical extreme who had this idea that there should be like um, sort of robot incubators uh, where children could be gestated. Uh, So basically women would have to play no part in gestation at all. And then I think that they would eventually come forth and then be sort of collectively raised. So that that was her, um, her contribution to the to the, how to even the playing field. No, but it's hard. Yeah. I mean, well, listen, it's, I mean, nobody, yeah, I, I would have liked to be raised by a collective family. That would have worked out better for me. At least then I would have had more people to take me to school instead of forgetting to pick me up. Um, so, so what are you doing now? You, you are on tour. How have you changed your, you have all new set? From what I understand, this is very oh, exciting. Yeah, maybe it's a new tour. It's called Vaccinated and Horny, and I'm coming <laughs> to a city near you. I'm doing uh, all the dates are at chelseahandler.com. So I wa- I start at the Santa Barbara Bowl next week or two weeks from now, and then I'm already bopping around the country. We're adding more dates, so I'll be adding those. And I'm doing. We're adapting my book, my last book, Life Will Be the Death of Me, for a TV show at Universal. Um, to make into a, a show and so for, with me to star in it. So that's nice. uh, fun. So that's going to be like you in therapy? How, how, what's the uh, Yeah, that will definitely, that will be a component of it for sure. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, it'll be probably like a little bit more curb your enthusiasm you know, that kind oh, of nice. thing. Oh, nice. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but definitely me trying to get better at life and just constantly fucking up. And, um, and then my podcast and yeah, I mean, I, I, that's pretty much what I've got going on. You know, things pop up all the time. So you just gotta see what you're kind of in the mood to do. And stand up was just so fun getting back in a stand up. I hadn't done it a long time until my last special came out last year for HBO Max that I filmed during the pandemic. And yeah. I just got my itch back and my hankering. And now I'm on the road. So I'm on tour. Do you feel like the the media landscape, the cultural landscape has changed in a way that's sort of forcing everybody to pivot. This is something I've been thinking about a lot. I just actually did a solo episode of this podcast just about what I would call like the tyranny of the mid-career pivot. I mean, obviously at your level, it doesn't affect you in quite the same ways, but I think it's still relevant. Like the idea that you're doing a podcast, like the rules are changed, right? It's just, it doesn't feel like the same professional landscape that it was 20 years ago, say. No, no. There's a lot, you do a lot more now than you would do before. You know, things you would be like, I can't do that. You're like, all right. Like this podcast. Yeah. Uh, like, well, well, you're my friend. So, or like my, my, you mean the podcast I'm doing? Yes, absolutely. No, my podcast. Like oh, you no, actually, no, yes. No, no, that no. we had to reboot four times. Yeah. No, but yes, but you're doing, but yeah, you're doing a podcast. Did you but ever yeah, think you would do a podcast? Things, I think like, you know, the landscape, it's just so vast now, right? The platforms are endless. The ways to promote yourself are endless. So you kind of just have to suck it up and get on board and take all your ego and shove it, shove it out I the know. door. You know what I mean? And just go, all right, I'm not too good for this. This isn't too, this isn't beneath me. You know, listen, I have a major issue with doing shit I don't want to do. So, you know, when my manager calls me and she's like, I really want you to do this. I'm like, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want, I don't, A, I don't like know. What? Like uh, what kind of things? I can't, I can't, I'll get too specific and then I'll Okay, but like, is it like a promotion kind of thing or like no, do a like, social media, like a TikTok thing or something like that? Or, or just like, even like, oh, like a re, like they wanted me to co come and co-host, like, or come and guest host a couple episodes of like one of these reality shows. And I just was like, I can't do it. I cannot do it. And my manager's like, come on, you know, so many people watch this. You're going to broaden your audience. I'm like, eh, like, like, do I it for the exposure. It. Right. You know, and that's not something I will do. I just can't do that. That's just not who I am. And I can't support that, the idiocy of reality television in that way. Um, so, uh, but you know, there are things like, you know, doing Instagram and, and actually like, you know, doing TikTok, doing that stuff, you know, it's, it, it causes an initial eye roll many times, but then, you know, I try to have a good attitude and I'm like, well, listen, if you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it, but it's only going to help things be easier, you know, when you want to do things you want to do. So I try to adapt that to whatever. And, you know, it's, it's also about, you know, to touch upon what we were relating, what we were talking about earlier to what we're talking about now. It's, it's about not resisting the newness, not resisting change and the way the world is changing. Yeah. It may not yeah. be your favorite, but it's better to get on board than to be like, no, 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 no. Cause it's coming. That's true. No, that is very true. Uh, you're, you're, a good inspiration in that regard because I get very cranky. Well, okay. So here's just to, to, to wrap things up here. One of the reasons I started this podcast is because I thought there were a lot of issues out there that have been rendered taboo, unspeakable, not really because they're inherently problematic, but because they've been made problematic by the sloppy or sort of gratuitously provocative way people talk about them. Like I always say, if, if the smart, thoughtful people don't speak up, only the dumb, thoughtless people will. So I'm curious, is there something, any kind of issue or topic that you think doesn't get talked about in the right way? Like, is there something that you wish you could talk about 
but you think sort of isn't worth it at this point because there's just a lack of bandwidth among the public because people have been sloppy about it, but that you think is important to discuss? I mean, I think that about a lot of issues. I think that, I mean, I'm trying to narrow it down to one specific one. Or just a few. I mean, just, is there something that you say, oh, I wish I could, you know, this, in order to solve this problem or make some kind of headway on this issue, we really need to be able to talk about it in this way, but we are not allowed to talk about it in this way for a whole host of reasons. Um, you know, again, for me, everything comes back to racism. <laughs> it's just that, and you know, I did that documentary for instance, for Netflix called hello privilege. It's me, Chelsea to just explore the meaning of what white privilege really means and the nuance of it, because it's not just one thing. It's I always thought, Oh, white privilege is our Harvard legacy families. And, and the Rockefellers and whatever, and those famous kinds of families, these kind of really patrician, you know, old school Americana, Vanderbilt, that kind of thing. And what I wanted to discover was understanding my role in my own privilege without really under, you know, without having the awareness, like gaining awareness about my privilege and then asking the question so that somebody could explain to me how I've benefited when I really thought I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. Mm -hmm. My father was a used car dealer. I was from New Jersey. They had no money. I mean, that's all. I mean, yeah, they didn't have a lot of money, but we had food on the table. We were, I grew up in a white Jewish suburbia. You know, I, I had, I never went hungry. I never had to shoplift. I did, but I didn't have to. Um, (laughs) And, You're vol- voluntary. Yeah, it would just, you know, you don't realize your own privilege until you start to look at other people's lives and the way that they have been kind of uh, cordoned off into a certain area of the world where getting the opportunities and the chances that I was able to give myself are not a reality for many people. And it's because of where you're born and where you live and what school you go to and what access you have to education and what access you have to your own self-confidence, you know? And, um, and so I think it all was, you know, I think everything, every problem that we've discussed today does come back to racism. Hmm. Okay. I'll have to think about that. It's like, it's one of those yes and things. So, all right. Well, Chelsea, you're very, very brave to come on my terrifying podcast. So thank you. Well, congratulations. And I'm happy to come on anytime. Thanks. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, good luck. And uh, we're going to uh, hopefully sign off now without erasing the whole thing. <laughs> okay. And if we erase it, I'm going to call I'm you not, right back. I'm not going to touch anything. I'm just going to Don't touch anything for the... Leave it on. And yeah. whatever background noise is in your house for the rest of the day, I'll just add that on as like white noise. That'll be, that'll be for the Patreon supporters. They're going to get the background uh, of your house. Just uh, dead, dead noise. And we're going now to the next morning when Chelsea called me back to uh, say a few more things. Good morning. I've never had a guest. Uh, I've never had a guest uh, come back. So soon. Well, I, we got off the phone because I was on my way to another appointment and then I was sticking in the car what we were talking about and how you were kind of, um, you know, were challenging the idea of everything leading back to racism. And I guess maybe racism is the larger, I mean, it falls under the larger umbrella. And the better way to say it is everything, you know, goes back to discrimination, you know, discrimination against anybody that is other than, you know, a man, a white man. 
And, um, and that, you know, and under that falls sexism, racism, and every other kind of marginalization. So I guess, you know, the, the better way to say it is everything goes back to discrimination because, you know, that it that or, does encompass all of the types of discrimination. Or inequality. Mm-hmm. Is it inequality? Yeah. yeah. Inequality well, yeah, no. Too, but in order to get inequality, you have to discriminate. So one comes before the other. In order to maintain it, you know, the fir- you have to have the discrimination and the sub, you know, the I am better than that. You are less than I am. Although, but discrimination is, is a natural human animal impulse. I mean, it's a, it's a broad term. You know, it's funny because when, after we hung up yesterday, I also, I went into like a little bit of a, an existential crisis about this show because, you know, this is a show where I, and a, my guests and a lot of the audience are in this place where we've been thinking about culture and politics for a long time. And we're saying things like systemic racism absolutely exists. It needs to be addressed on any number of levels. But at the same time, it's counterproductive, perhaps, to see everything through the lens of race. But like, for instance, like, I want to talk to you. You've got like a career that doesn't involve sitting around obsessing about these things 24 hours a day the way the way I do. So I think actually like the it, the we're we're maybe talking past each other in a way that's pretty emblematic of the way lots of people are these days. So I don't know, I'm, this is just a statement, it's not really a, a question, but like sometimes I wonder like it's after doing this show for a year I sometimes ask myself like how do I have lots of people on without constantly coming back to these t- to these topics, <laughs> or how do we talk about them in a way that's fresh? Um, right. Anyway. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, I think uh, everybody's digesting, you know, their thoughts about what's been going on and transpiring for the last two years. So we're still in a reaction mode, right? You know, we're still like, wait, what? You know, yeah. I don't like this. I don't want. You know, we're all kind of reacting. So in order to have any real perspective, more time has to pass. Yeah, I think, I think for sure. So like, I mean, one of the things that people are now talking about a lot and often not in a productive way at all are things like critical race theory and the way certain DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, training programs are taking place in workplaces and academic institutions, schools, wherever. Like, is that something have you, I mean, I remember, I think when we talked earlier, you had said that you had had to go to like diversity training back during when you were filming Hello Privilege. That was like several years ago now. I've been Am I remembering that correctly? I've been to sexual harassment training. Oh, that's right. Once. It was sexual harassment. Training. I've right. been to, yeah, well, I've been to diversity training too, but um, sexual harassment training is the one I went to twice. <laughs> that was for slapping a girl on the ass, right? Was that that well, one? Was, no, yeah. Well, not for, yeah. It was in reaction to that, yes. I, I went to hug this girl who sang a song and then like, you know, in an act of what I thought was sisterhood, I went and smacked her on the butt. Like, yeah, This yeah, girl, she that, was this, she was black. Wait, we yeah, should say that, yes. It really okay. doesn't matter who it, who, who it is. No, but I, that would just add to the, yes. add to the intensity so, of the so encounter. Yeah. That was a very big teaching moment for me on the very first day that I was shooting my documentary about privilege. So uh, I had to, you know, I didn't know what the problem was initially. Initially, I was like, what do you mean? I was like, I love that girl. Like, I was, this is sisterhood. That's what I was thinking. And I spoke to her. I called her on the phone and spoke to her. And she's like, it's not about your intention at all. It's about the reception. 
you don't get to touch my ass. You have no idea what that means to me, what I've been through, what I've experienced, that fact that black women have been defined by their asses or their hair for years and years and years. And that's the very first thing you touch on me. She's like, I don't want that kind of attention. And it was a big, hello. Oh my God. You know, what am I doing? Of course she doesn't. What am I thinking? Who am who do I think I am that everyone is just supposed to know that I mean well when I do that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. But it's also like, you know, you think about how when we were sort of growing up and when we were younger, there was this kind of sense that if you could be kind of casual with everybody and just be yourself with everybody, no matter their identity category, that was a show of respect. Like to be quote, to be quote unquote colorblind was a way of showing how unracist you are. Like, remember, I feel like there was a time in the 90s where if you made really politically incorrect jokes, you were that meant you were politically correct. Like, I'm so PC yes. that I'm un-PC. Yes. yes, I remember that as well. And so that has fallen away. Uh, and arguably, it has swung extremely far in the other direction. It has, but I mean, I think, you know, I feel like you look at it from, you, you know, a more, a more narrow minded perspective. I think you're not taking into account when you kind of resist all of this, how much the world is changing and how much we have to embrace and accept it instead of go, Oh God, in my day, it was so much different. Well, that's what evolution is. That's the world changes every decade. It's different and things are different. And like, it's, it's an honor, you know, we should be excited to be part of this crazy change instead of going, Oh God, when I was young, I was tough. I was tough. That's what kept me from being sexually harassed or, you know, that's yeah, an unfair yeah, no. statement. You know, that's an, unfair well, it's not a very, it's not, yeah, not a very nuanced not, statement. No, it's no, of course not. But people always say that to me. They go, well, of course you weren't sexually assaulted. It's like, well, excuse me. Of course, of course I could have easily been sexually yeah, assaulted. That's, that's, yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So, but I mean, have you heard, like you went to diversity training, sexual harassment training, I maybe not since the last year or so, because we are hearing stories of Robin DiAngelo style, Robin DiAngelo style diversity and inclusion training that is like, you know, white people have to basically sit there with duct tape on their mouth. I mean, there, there is a version of this kind of sensitivity uh there there is a version of this movement that is incredibly unsophisticated and like ironically pretty racist uh so i wonder if that's something that you've ever thought about like because that that's sort of where we try to get at at this show like there is there is a way of being so anti-racist that it actually feels racist to, to my mind but this is like a very tricky needle to thread and again that's this may be a place this conversation doesn't need to go but uh, well, I, I would just argue on that, that point that you, I would just say, you know, you're, you don't get to decide what's racist or not. You know what I mean? We're, we're not the deciders that are arbiters of that. We're, we're not the ones being discriminated against well, in that vein. Right. But a lot of white people are deciding on behalf of black people what is racist. That's one thing that's happening. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, how do you mean? They're not deciding what's racist. I mean, it's up to black. You're, you're saying that. You're thinking that that could be racist, but you're a white person saying that. So well, there are, are a we lot to of leave it up to people of color to decide what's racist and not. Well, uh, that would be better than people like Robin DiAngelo making enormous amounts of money, uh, telling white people that they are, 
you know, incorrigibly racist and, you know, pay me a lot of money so you can flagellate yourself. I don't know. Anyway, I'm, I'm glad that you, that you called back to, to clarify your point because I do think that, yeah, when we talk, we're in a moment where we're talking about race all the time and it's become a little bit of a substitute for inequality generally. You know, I mean, there is, you know, income inequality, uh, if, if that was addressed, uh, that would encompass a lot of people of color, uh, who, who need, uh, systemic change as well as a lot of other people. I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's easy to kind of fall into these little, uh, little sort of language traps, I think. Yeah. Anyway. Right. Um, okay. Is there, is there anything else now that I have you? I can't believe, uh, are you, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> it's so early for you. <laughs> uh, no, I actually get up every morning at five thirty. unbelievably. It's very strange. No one would expect this from me, but it's true. I'm an early to better and an early riser. I have to go, uh, I have to get on the phone with the writer after this. So okay. We're working on okay. a project together. Oh, a writer. And- you can blow off the writer. That's just a writer. Um, what, <laughs> what, what, um, okay. You get up. All right. So, all right. I'll, I'll let you go, but I feel like we should have talked more about like dating or, or your, your, your Tinder oh, Raya life. Who whatever. cares about dating? I know. There's many more important things to talk about. Seriously. Well, yeah, yes and no. Yes and no. But, uh, you know, I just want to make sure we cover all the bases. All right. Well, okay. we'll save that for the next time. That was my interview with author, comedian, now podcaster, Chelsea Handler. Chelsea is currently on tour with her new comedy show, Vaccinated and Horny. Her most recent book is Life Will Be the Death of Me, and you can check out her weekly advice podcast, Dear Chelsea. You can also check out an interview I did with Chelsea in late 2019, the one we mentioned at the start of this interview, and it's on the Patreon page for this show. This show, as you know, probably is the unspeakable podcast, Speaking of Patreon, now is a great time to join it at patreon.com slash the unspeakable. If you join at any level, you can get early access, ad-free versions of this show, plus lots of other perks. We recently had the first ever Unspeakable Podcast listener hangout on Zoom, and I have to tell you, it was amazing. There was a big crowd, and I'm going to do more of these, including smaller Patreon-only hangouts. The listeners of this show, not that I'm biased, are incredibly impressive and thoughtful and fun people and just really generous minded. So since you are one of them, please visit the show's website at theunspeakablepodcast.com to find out what's happening and anything else you may want to know, including how to purchase official nuanced AF merchandise, which a lot of people were wearing at the Hangout and they looked spectacular. I'll be back next week with another super nuanced guest. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Hi, I'm Frank. I don't like change. And I just saw a billboard for this new BJ's Wholesale Club talking about up to 25% off grocery store prices. Oh, really? What's wrong with paying full price, huh? No, sir. I would not join BJ's Wholesale Club. Let's agree to disagree, Frank. Say you do want to sign up now to get a $40 BJ's digital gift card. Join the new BJ's Wholesale Club, opening soon in South Fayette. Visit BJ's.com slash South Fayette or the BJ's Membership Center at Newbury Market. Offer valid for a limited time. 
If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. RCA's local inpatient and outpatient programs are founded on science and delivered with heart from an expert, caring team who will inspire and guide you every step of the way. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now to speak with a treatment advisor. At RCA, you'll be in a community that builds connections and fosters support from peers and RCA's team of medical professionals and recovery support specialists. At RCA's state-of-the-art campus, in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, they tailor your treatment to you and also offer specialized programs like PRIZE, a unique program for people who have been in recovery but have relapsed. Here, you won't have to start from step one. You'll build off the knowledge you've previously acquired in treatment and focus on the areas of your recovery that need improvement. RCA answers the phone and accepts patients 24-7 and is in network with most major insurance providers. Don't wait. Call 1-888-RECOVERY today. That's 1-888-RECOVERY.